Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Sarah. She's been struggling to lose weight, and every year she would say, okay, I'm going back to the gym. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to start taking my supplements. But somehow, each time, just a few weeks after the new year, she would fall off the wagon because she felt like she just wasn't making any progress. She kept thinking that she's just not found the right protocol or the right diet. And so she came to see me to get her perfect plan. But after hearing Sarah's struggles, I wondered if it was the protocol that wasn't working or if there was something else that was sabotaging her. I knew just where to look to help solve her health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Just heard about Sarah's struggles, and join me on the show today to talk much more about this is Tanya Dalton. Tanya is a best-selling author, speaker, and nationally recognized productivity expert. She's the CEO of Inkwell Press Productivity Co., providing tools that work as a catalyst in helping people to do less while achieving more. Her highly anticipated second book, On Purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success, was just recently released, and so I thought that she would be the perfect guest for today's episode. Tanya, I am so, so excited to have you. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited about this. Me too. So as we start the new year, it's very common to talk about resolutions, things that we want to do, things we want to accomplish, our goals, right? But I think that most people will probably agree, those seem great, but for many, we just don't stick to them. So is it that we just haven't found the perfect plan that works for us? Was there something else at play here? Tanya, what are some things that play a role in how we achieve our goals? You know, we feel like failures because we set these resolutions and then they don't really work out for us. But the truth is about 81% of people don't follow through on their New Year's resolutions. 81%. And here's probably the most interesting fact. 23% drop off in the first week alone. Wow. That's a crazy high number, right? So if you're one of those listeners who's like, I can't seem to get New Year's resolutions to work for me, 
you are not alone. <laughs> that is that is by far a very, very common thing. And I think here's the thing that's the problem, especially with New Year's resolutions, is you know we don't have to take the time to really align them for what it is we really want. We just kind of say them out loud on New Year's Eve, and then we're like, okay, I don't know why that didn't really work out for me, hmm. you know? And so it really is about choosing the right goals for you. And when I say right goals, this is what people want to do. They want to say, okay, can you just tell me what goals to set? <laughs> like, just <laughs> Do you have a PDF that I can just download? And, and the truth is, when I say the right goals, it's the right goals for you. I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that people make is we don't set goals that are aligned with what we want, what we desire in our lives. We we look around, we look over here and we're like, oh, this, this, this person over here, they're doing amazing things. I should do what they're doing. Or, oh, look how that person's doing this over here. I'm going to do more of that. And so we're setting our success metrics based off what everybody else is doing. So we lose sight of who we are our own special, unique gifts that we bring to the table, and we lose sight of what we truly want in life. Mm. So the first thing I usually tell people is we want to make sure your goals are aligned with a big, bright, beautiful future that you desire. Living on purpose is about living bigger than your to-do list. It's not about getting through the struggle of every single day to one day be happy. When I accomplish X or when I do Z, then I'll be happy. Joy and happiness is your birthright. It really is. And I truly believe that. We can find joy in every day when we align our goals with a big purpose, with something that's really tied to a bright, beautiful future that we have envisioned for ourselves. I love what you're saying because so often, and like in Sarah's case, for example, she wanted to lose weight and she wanted to work on getting her energy up, right? And those were her goals. And they're important, but like you're saying, if that's not aligned with why she wants them, right? In the bigger picture, that's part of the reason, right? Yeah, it's the bigger picture. And I, I think weight loss is a big one that we hear a lot about, especially, you know, this time of year where we get really fixated on the numbers on the scale. And the truth is, if our big, bright, beautiful future that we envision for ourselves is about living a healthy, active lifestyle, let's say into our 80s or 90s, is it the 10 pounds? you need to lose? Or is it more about creating a lifestyle for yourself of healthy eating, really establishing a habit of eating healthy? You know, we fixate on the numbers, whether that's numbers on our paycheck or number of followers we have on social media or the numbers on the scale. We really fixate on those numbers and those numbers don't mean a lot. Our value is not determined by any number. No number out there can really define who you are. So if we decide instead of saying, I want to lose 10 pounds, if we say, I want to eat healthy, let's say in Sarah's case, you know, three times a week, I want to eat healthy three times a week, she would naturally start to lose more weight if she's no longer, you know, stopping to get fast food on the way home, or she's doing some prepping. So there's some healthy snacks in the, in the fridge and things like that. That's going to be a natural byproduct of that bigger vision of having a healthy lifestyle, you know, years and years and decades down the road. That helps us really figure out what does the goal really need to be? It's not the 10 pounds. It's really about the healthier eating. It's also similar when people try to remove certain foods. You know, a lot of people need to be gluten-free because of autoimmunity or, um, you know, other health issues that they have. And not to say that everyone obviously needs to be gluten-free, but I know a lot of people who listen to the show have certain health issues where being gluten-free is very helpful. And this is something that for some is 
very simple. They're like, okay, I don't need gluten. I'll remove gluten. Like for me, for example, I haven't eaten gluten in probably over 15 years. And I just think of it as I don't eat gluten. It's not like I can't or I won't, but it's, I don't. Right. But for other people, it's, you know, it just seems very restrictive and it just feels like such a big, big thing. And so I have this conversation a lot would say, okay, I'm going to do it after the new year, or I'm going to do it next week, or I'm going to do it someday. someday. <laughs> someday. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And so how can people maybe reframe that, you know, because it is a food that really for their body, it, it doesn't work for them. Right. So it's in a way, I mean, I don't want to say poisonous, but in sort of a way, right? Like it's really unhealthy for their specific body. So how can they reframe that as the bigger picture? Yeah. Well, I like this question because I actually have a study that I talk about in the book where, you know, our words really matter. And I don't think we recognize or realize that often enough, that our words are really important. That in fact, in, in one of the studies, they talked about the word choice of I can't versus I don't. And when it came to making choices about healthy eating, saying I can't eat brownies, let's say, or I can't eat cookies, is saying I don't have any control. This is not my choice. I'm not owning this decision. Like there's something in the universe that's telling me I can't do this, right? Mm -hmm. Versus saying I don't. That's you choosing. I don't eat cookies or I don't eat brownies or I don't eat gluten or whatever it is. If we say I don't, we have more ownership over that choice and in fact, our success rate more than doubles when we make this just that simple little word switch. Little tiny words like can't and don't really do matter. When I'm talking to people about their goals, a lot of people have heard of the SMART goals, right? The, the SMART goals framework. I was finding that the SMART goals needed a shift and they needed updating. And so I came up with a framework called the impact framework, which kind of piggybacks off of the SMART goals framework, but it's more in tune with all the things that you're talking about here. And the first letter is I in the word impact. It's inspirational, measurable, purpose-driven, adaptable, challenging, and timed. The first one is inspirational. We want to write our goals as something positive, making that decision of I don't eat gluten or I don't eat the cookies, right? What we want to do is we want to fixate on what we do want, not what we don't. If you go to a restaurant, do you sit and tell your waiter, well, I don't want to eat this and I don't want to eat that. And I don't want this. <laughs> or do you tell your waiter, this is what I want, right? You tell your waiter exactly what you want. You put that order out into the world and guess what comes back to you? Exactly what you ordered. So instead of viewing yourself as someone who cannot, you know, or is going to have to skip dessert, focus in instead on the joy of how healthy you're going to feel or what it's going to feel like to be inflammation free or what it's going to feel like when you feel better in your genes. Focusing in on what feels good is going to really make a huge difference in how you feel about your goals. I think motivation is one of those things where people are like, how do I get motivated? This is one of the first ways to do it. Write your goals as inspirations, as what you want. Don't talk, don't talk about being a non-smoker. Start identifying yourself as a non-smoker. Don't say that, oh, I want to quit smoking because that's negative. Let's spin it to a positive. I'm a new non-smoker, right? Really start identifying with what it is you want because that's going to build those endorphins in and get you more motivated but it also kind of puts out into the world that positive yeah. that you want to get back. Mm -hmm. I love that. I actually talk about this concept called like your health dream. So it's very similar where you're putting out what it is that you want and you're writing it as if it's happening right now. 
Yes, exactly. Okay, so that's the I. And then what's the next one? Measurable is the M. So we have inspirational and then measurable. So you heard me just a minute ago say you're not defined by numbers, but we do want to make sure that our goals are measurable. We want to be able to see that breadcrumb trail behind us where we go, look at what I've done. You know, if you've ever gone for a hike or, you know, gone for a long walk and you you get halfway through and you're like, I just don't think I can make it, right? You're exhausted. Your calves are screaming. When you stop and you look back at how far you've come, you're going to go, oh my gosh, look at that. I actually think I can finish this, right? We have to see how far we've come in order to see how far we can go in moving forward into the future. And that's what making your goals measurable helps to do. It starts to create this pattern for yourself of feeling successful. Now, if we don't want our goals to be measurable, I mean, if we don't want our goals to be tied to like a, a, a number like the numbers on the scale, but we want it to be measurable, we can, instead of focusing on those numbers on the scale or the numbers on the tape measure, we can focus in on how often you're eating healthy. So in that example we talked about with Sarah, eating healthy three times a week. So what we're doing is we're measuring how often this activity is happening. And you can do that through a habit tracker. You can mark it down on your calendar. When you start to see a pattern of, oh, look at how often I'm eating healthy, you know what? You start identifying yourself again as a healthy eater. Right. Oh, that's such a good idea because you're right. I think most people, when they think measurable, they do think the number on the scale or their size, clothing size, or, you know, something like that. Or even sometimes maybe the numbers in their blood work. Yes. But that takes time. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, people can feel down when their blood work maybe hasn't changed, but it just hasn't been enough time. So what you're saying, I think is really, really key. Well, same thing with weight loss too, because, you know, at the beginning, when you have more to lose, it falls off a little bit easier. When you get, when you start getting lower and closer to that ideal weight that you're shooting for, it gets more difficult. And that can be really defeating if you're like, oh, I was really looking for the 10 pounds and I'm, I'm down eight. Instead of celebrating, hey, you're down eight, right? <laughs> right? I mean, that's a good thing. So let's measure the, the activities. Let's measure the habits that we're creating for ourselves, because that's going to align with really the next letter, P, purpose-driven. We want our goals to be bigger than just what we're doing here today. We want them to be tied to that big, bright, beautiful future that we're talking about, which is why we want the goals to be something like healthy eating, right? And so with the measurable, we're making sure that we're establishing these beautiful, healthy habits for ourselves that are going to let us get to that big, bright, beautiful future that we dream about. And just a quick question on that, for some people they have a hard time coming up with that big, bright, beautiful future. Yes. Do you have any tips there? (laughs) Oh, I do. Yeah, I have quite a few tips. (laughs) Actually, I'll give you just one or two. But um, I dive into this definitely into the book because I do think that's something that holds people back. They're like, I want to dream about the future, but I don't know what that looks like. And I understand that because I've been in that position myself where I don't know what that future is going to look like. But here's the truth. We have a whole past to mine from. And so what happens is, you know, we start becoming adults and all of a sudden in the pursuit of adulting, we forget the things that we really truly want or desire. We start living our life for what we should be doing or what we're supposed to be doing. And we lose sight of what really got us excited. So one of the ways that I talk about in the book, and there's several, but is getting in your little Marty McFly time machine, going back in time. And giving yourself like a little visit back when you were younger, before you started really adulting, because when you were a kid, anything was possible. And let me actually rephrase that. Everything 
was possible. There were no limitations that you put on yourself. So when you were little, you maybe dreamed of being, you know, an astronaut or a policeman or or Wonder Woman, right? Anything was possible. And so let's dive into what it was that you dreamed of for your future. What did you want to be when you grow up? Okay, so Wonder Woman seems out of the question. Maybe, you know, a woman running around with, you know, a leotard and, and you know, boots doesn't appeal to you. But let's go back to that question of why do you want this? Why did you like the idea of being Wonder Woman? Was it because she stood for truth and justice? Was it because she inspired a whole generation of young girls? Was it because she could find truth in situations no one else could? Why did you think that was a career you wanted? Why did you want, why did you aspire to that? And even too, going back to the things you were passionate about when you were a child, what were the things that you loved to do that you would look forward to and you'd be so excited to do? Not the piano lessons that your mom dragged you to that you hated, <laughs> but let's, you know, let's say it was, you know, softball or basketball. Okay. If it's softball, why did you love softball? Okay. We can agree. Maybe being a professional athlete out of the question, mm -hmm. but why did you love it? Was it being outdoors? Was it moving your body? Was it the competitiveness? Was it the teamwork? Start asking those questions of why did I like these things when I was younger? Start looking for these patterns and you'll see that a lot of what you really desire in your life today is tied to who you were in the past when you were a child. That's good. That's really good. And it's so important for people to think about that because like you're saying, you know, if we have these goals and, you know, we just think of it as the goal itself and not the bigger picture, it's just not going to work. Um, so that's a really, really great exercise. And I know you have so many other great ones in the book of how people can figure out what that future and what that purpose is. So that's great. Thank you for that. So then, so we did I, inspiration. We did inspirational, <laughs> yep. measurable, mm -hmm. purpose-driven. And then the next two I like to do together, adaptable and challenging. So that's our A and our C. And I like to do these together because it's it's important to challenge ourselves. It's really when we get out of our little you know comfort zone, which feels like Netflix and sweatpants, <laughs> that's where really our growth happens. So, and to be honest, as humans, we we enjoy the challenge. We enjoy being challenged. So, you know, if you have struggled with, let's go, let's stick with this healthy eating kind of you know goal that we're talking about. If you're talking about eating healthy three times a week and you haven't been eating healthy, that that's a challenge. That's definitely something that uh, is going to challenge you in a lot of ways. But we want to go back to that A. We want to make it adaptable. You know, one of the things that people do is they set these big, giant, crazy goals for themselves. And they're so rigid that as soon as we fall off the horse, and we're going to fall off the horse from time to time because, you know, we're people, we're humans, and life happens. What happens is you fall off the, the horse and then you're like, oh, well, I guess I failed at that. Not, you know, not going to not going to work out for me. And then we just abandon the goal. If you make your goals adaptable while still be, being challenging, that gives you the flexibility. It gives you the grace that life needs. I mean, maybe if you're wanting to eat healthy, but you're traveling for work, it's hard to eat healthy when you're traveling or you got a sick kid or it's a busy season at your office and things are happening. It's going to be hard to hit that three times a week with that challenge. So if we add in the word average, that really helps us out here. That makes it so our goal is adaptable. I want to eat healthy an average of three times a week which means some weeks, maybe you only get one or two days. But then if you do that, the next week, we're going to shoot for like four or five, right? Mm -hmm. To bring that average up. So you can use the word average to allow you that grace and flexibility for, for life to happen. Um, another way you can make your goals adaptable 
is a method called the MTO method, minimum, target, and outrageous. So you can say, okay, I want to eat healthy. My target is to eat healthy three times a week. But minimum, if I eat healthy two days a week, that's still winning. I'm still doing amazing, right? So a minimum of two, targeting three. And then you can set that outrageous goal of five times a week. But if I hit five times a week, that's outrageous. And I'm going to do something immediately to reward myself. I'm going to do something nice for myself. I'm going to go maybe go get a pedicure or I'm going to give myself some time in the in the tub to just relax. I'm going to go buy that new book I've been eyeing or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Giving yourself that grace and that flexibility that you're targeting three times a week, but you're giving yourself that ability that the week is tough, that you're hitting that minimum, but also challenging yourself with that outrageous. That's another way to do that. So building in a lot of adaptability. That's a really, really good tip. I love that. Thank you. Well, you know, I think that's one of the big things is because we set these rigid goals, we say, I'm going to eat healthy three times a week. Or we say something like, I'm going to drink a gallon of water every day, right? And then you have a day where you're like, oh, it just could, didn't, didn't happen. I was on an airplane. There was no way I was going to drink a gallon of water and have to run to that bathroom, you know, 25 times. Then we just we just go, okay, well, never mind. I guess that's not going to happen right? because we, we had one bad day. Yes. One bad day doesn't define you. And it doesn't mean that that goal is not meant for you. Mm-hmm. One bad week doesn't mean it's off for you either. Right. Give yourself grace. It's okay. Especially if you, you know, are a person who experiences chronic pain. Some of those goals that we have for ourselves, there are days that are going to be rough because the inflammation is bad or the pain is bad or we, we're not able to do the amount that we want to do. Allow yourself that grace to live, to be human, to experience, you know, life the way that it comes. So I think it's really important to be adaptable. For sure. So we've done inspirational, measurable, purpose-driven, adaptable, challenging. And then our last letter is timed. Having a deadline. Having a deadline with a goal is so incredibly important. And I know you might be thinking to yourself, well, hold on. If I'm eating healthy three times a week, why would I want a deadline for that? And I think this is the thing. For goals like that, we think, well, I just want to do that ongoing. So we don't give it that timed. We want to give us a deadline to check in. So I want to eat an average of three times a week. I want to eat healthy three times, an average of three times a week. And I'm going to do a check-in in March, right? Or I'm going to do that through March 15th. Well, on March 15th, you're going to check in. And that gives you an opportunity to do one of two things. Celebrate and go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Look how good I've done. I'm going to keep going at this. This is incredible. I need to do something to reward myself. I need to give myself some nice words of affirmation. I need to go do something nice for myself or whatever it is. I want to stop and recognize. We don't stop and recognize when we've achieved something like this. And so I think that's really important. But the other thing we maybe need to do is do a little adjustment. Okay, you know what? I'm eating healthy three times a week. What if I push that to four? What if now for the next you know, couple of months, I shoot for four times a week, an average of four times, and you can challenge yourself. Or you can say, gosh, you know what? That just didn't work out for me. That average of three times a week did not really work out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rework this. I'm going to go to two times a week, and I'm going to stair step up to three. So for the next three months, we'll just focus on two times, right? What we're looking for is building that motivation of, of really making a goal so that it is challenging, but still adaptable, right? And that's what doing the timed really does is it allows us to check in and make sure, and we wanna check in and make sure, is this goal still for me? Do I still like this? Do I still wanna keep doing this? 
So it's an opportunity for you to check in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because for some people, maybe they may need to redefine eating healthy, right? So maybe they're doing that three days a week. Yes. And, you know, they're eating in a certain way and perhaps, you know, they've already hit their goal, right? Say with their weight and that doesn't mean they just go back to whatever they were doing, right? Maybe they just readjust that or the other way around, right? If they're not feeling the way they want to feel, maybe eating healthy needs to shift to something else. I think that I think checking in and to me, this is kind of the, the reflection process. And what reflection is, is, is an intentional pause. It's you stopping in your busy life and just looking, how am I doing? Do I like where I am? What do I think I want in moving forward? I think it's so important that we're consistently stopping and doing a quick check-in just to check in emotionally, physically, you know, mentally, how do I feel? Now, a lot of times when we talk about eating healthy, having a healthier mindset, you know, just doing things that are healthy for us, a lot of things are going to come to mind for people, right? So it's maybe eating more of certain foods, less of other foods. It's maybe eating at different times, stopping at certain times. It maybe also is, you know, exercising for a healthier lifestyle. It maybe is also doing, you know, mindset work. And, you know, it could be a lot. And I know one of the things that you say is that productivity is not about doing more, but it's about doing what's most important. And this is something that really hits home for me personally too. I'm sure for many others as well. And so what I want to ask you is, how do you figure out what is a priority when everything seems so important, especially if along with this, we're taking care of family, we're potentially, you know, we're working, maybe you're running a business even, and, you know, taking care of the house and doing everything else. Yeah. There's a lot on our plates. (laughs) Our plates are overflowing. It's like we're at the buffet and now there's no room for dessert because we've put so many things on our plate already. Right. And it, that becomes a challenge. We want to save room on our plate for dessert. We want to, we want to save it for the things that we really like. Have you ever done that when you're in a buffet and you've filled up your plate and then you see something you really love and you're like, Oh, there's no room. That's the, that's the worst feeling. So it, it really is about making sure that we're keeping our plate fairly clear so that we can put the things on it that we want. We've been dealing with this pandemic for a while and it, it's tough, you know, dealing with a, a world in pandemic. But here's the silver lining in all of that. I've said in the past, and I said this in my first book, The Joy of Missing Out, it's often hard to know what is a priority until it becomes an emergency. Like we're in our boat and we don't know what to throw overboard until suddenly our boat is sinking. And then and then we can go, oh, don't need this, don't need that. We can throw all these things overboard. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Everybody's boat was sinking when the pandemic hit. For months, everyone's boat was like, we're bailing out water. And did you notice it was so much easier to say, oh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Oh, these things I'm not going to do anymore because I've got to shift what I'm doing. Life has just changed very dramatically and I can't do all the things. So again, let's go back to where you were there. What were the things you immediately knew I needed to prioritize? What were the things immediately you were like, this is what's most important? Go back and revisit some of those thoughts that you had there. That's a really good way to understand it. I think what happens a lot of times is, um, you know, we say yes out of obligation. We're afraid that opportunity only knocks once. We've all heard that saying, and we believe it. So when opportunity knocks, we open that door again and again, no matter what that opportunity is. We say yes to everything that comes knocking. And I want to challenge you to really think about going back to that word choice of I can't and I don't. When you think about the things that you've said yes to, do you think of them as things I have to do or things I get to do? 
and really start doing a gut check when you're talking about the different things, the, the things that are on your plate right now. When you think about them, how do you phrase it? How do you already mentally compartmentalize it as a have to or get to? And pay attention to how your body reacts. Our body is incredible. Our body will tell us exactly what we're thinking before our brain does, right? We'll get that pit in our stomach or a tension headache or a migraine or those kinds of things as stress starts to crop up. Start paying attention to how your body reacts when you're thinking about the different things you've said yes to. And then you're going to start to realize every time or every time I'm around this person, I leave and I feel worse about myself or I feel like I have a stomach ache because I have to go to lunch with this person I don't really love in this, in, you know, in my world. Start to pay attention to those things and figure out, OK, do I need to start saying no to some of those things? Some of the things that we're saying yes to are not really important to us. It's really just yes out of obligation. So let's let's try to say no to obligations and say yes to opportunities, things that really excite you and ignite you. Yeah, it's, it's those boundaries. They're so important. Mm-hmm. And things like eating healthy or exercising, you know, you make such a good point that it doesn't seem like we have time, but if we look at all these other things on our plate, do we really need to do them and do you really want to do it? And then I think probably building on that, looking at all of the different things you can do for health, you can prioritize those based on at least what you enjoy most and then work from there, right? Absolutely. I think here's the thing, and you know, if you've heard of Parkinson's law, it's kind of a productivity term, but Parkinson's law says work will expand to fit the time allowed for it. Oh my gosh. That is so true. Yes. It's so true, right? In the joy of missing out my first book, I equate it to, I say life is like a bowl of ice cream in that if I get a a big bowl of ice cream, I will fill that big bowl of ice cream all the way up and I will eat every bite. (laughs) If I get myself a small bowl of ice cream, I will eat a small amount of ice cream and I will enjoy every bite. Now my ice cream, it seems to expand with the size of the bowl. And that's exactly what your projects do. They expand to fit whatever size bowl you're giving them. So if you're giving yourself, you know, four hours to do a project that really should only take you two hours, guess what? That project will take you four hours because you'll fill it with stress and procrastination and overthinking, overworking, right? Like you'll say, oh, like for a presentation, oh, I can do this and I have it ready. And then you're like, oh, let me rework this font. Let me try a different font. Let me try a different picture here, right? All those things start to fill up that time. So really taking a good look at how you're spending your time. Are you giving things on your plate too big of a portion size? Uh, So that's one of the things we can start to do. When I was first writing my first book, The Joy of Missing Out, I, I met this gentleman. I was at a speaking event and he said, oh, you know, writing a book is something that I've had on my list to do forever. I just don't have the time. And I said, oh, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm retired. <laughs> I was like, hold on a minute. You're retired and you're telling me you don't have time to write a book. I run a company. I have two children. I've got, you know, all these other things that I'm doing. And yet I was able to write not one, but two books. You know why? Because I prioritized it. I gave the time to my books. I don't wait for the time to just show up. I actively carve it out. So I would sit down on you know uh, Sunday evening, and I would say, okay, here's my writing blocks. These are non-negotiable. So for writing The Joy of Missing Out, I would get up really early in the morning because that was my writing time. With this book, with On Purpose, it was a little different because we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> I was homeschooling kids suddenly. I was you know shifting things in my business. And so I ended up having writing blocks that were later on in the morning. But those blocks became sacred 
Nothing else was going to go into those blocks. I chose how I spend my time. The truth is, if you say, I don't have the time, that'll become truth for you. It will become truth because you've decided you don't have the time. I do not say I don't have the time for anything. If somebody says, do you want to, you know, do you have, I'd love for you to be on a board. I don't respond with, I don't have time. I will respond with, that's not a priority for me right now. I'm doing some other things. Or I've already promised this time to my family. So I'm gifting that time to my family. So I'm going to have to give this a no. I don't blame not having the time on time. Time is not, you know, an angry three-year-old throwing a tantrum in the middle of Target. Time is just time. It's the same for you and me and Beyonce. We all have the same 168 hours every single week. It's how we choose to spend it. And so you have to choose to spend it on the time, the time on what's most important to you. If eating healthy is most important to you, treat it like it's most important. If spending time with your kids is most important to you, treat it as though it's the most important to you. Carve out that time on the front end before you let anything else fill in your calendar. You own that time. Start taking ownership. Such a good way to think about it. Yeah. And I think the time blocks are really important too, you know, especially for things like self care, right? Or exercise or things where you know you need some quiet time to yourself and you can't just do that whenever. You know, it's really putting that on the calendar or even, you know, going food shopping, right? Or food prep. You know, that's really, really important to block off. I think the other thing is really leaning on your team. A lot of times when we think of team, we think of our team at the office, but you have a team at home, friends family members, your own children, all of those are members of the team. And I think, you know, a lot of times we think that we're burdening other people if we have them help out. And I want you to realize that that when you ask for support, when you ask for assistance, that's a gift you're giving somebody else. Think about the last time a friend asked you for help in something. When you helped them, did you feel resentful or angry or did you feel great. Like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I was so happy to help them. Mm -hmm. Right. When you allow other people in your world to support you and help you, you're really allowing them to become a member of the team. And this is true, especially with our children. We feel like we're supposed to do everything for our kids. I'm a really big advocate for actively making your children part of the team. My kids do their own laundry. They've done their own laundry since they were like seven years old. Hmm. My son went to college this year. Guess what he didn't stress about? (laughs) Doing laundry because he already knew it. He had the life skills, right? I was imparting that knowledge on him. And that's a gift I'm giving my kids because they actively feel like they are a part of what happens in my business. They actively feel like they're a part of what's happening. We have meetings on Sundays that I call team planning, where we sit together as a team and we talk about what's going on in our week. Who's got what going on? Who's in charge of what? Okay, Jack has play practice this week, which means he's not going to have a lot of time. How are the rest of the team members? Jack, uh, Jack, you can't you can't uh, do some of your chores? Kate, how are you going to help Jack with his chores? How am I going to help Jack with his chores? John, how are you going to help? And we all support Jack. When I have a busy week, guess what? My team supports me. My kids and my husband come in and they help out with some of the chores. All right, I'll take care of dinners. I will do these things right? Mm. So really making sure that creates this harmony within our team, within our family, that they actively feel like they are a part of it, that it's not the team happening to them, that they get to be a part of that. And that's a, that's a really great thing that I've experienced with my own kids is, you know, that joy of, of this closeness that we have. And my son is, you know, 18 and in college right now, he just started his freshman year. And it's amazing 
to get to have that closeness with him, even as when he's far away, even when he's not living at home. Right. Now, when did you start this? How old were your kids when you started implementing these Sunday night meetings? The Sunday night, I started implementing that when they were really little. So when they were really young and they couldn't read, I would use pictures. I would download clip art from the internet. Um, That's how old I am. (laughs) I don't think they call it clip art anymore. Um, But I would use clip art and I would post things for like what was going on in their week. If they had soccer practice, there'd be a picture of a kid playing soccer or it would be right with a a picture of a clock. And I would put a clock, like a digital clock right next to where we'd put that little chart. Um, So I started doing that when my kids were little. In The Joy of Missing Out, I talk about how I use automations to train my kids that Tuesday was laundry day for my children. Like my children's laundry was done on Tuesdays. So every Tuesday, there was no question about whether it was going to happen. It was just, this is Tuesday, it's laundry day. So I'd say, it's Tuesday, laundry day. Of course, I'm super cheery in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, it's Tuesday, laundry day. And my kids would drag their hampers out. They would drag them down the stairs. I purposely bought hampers. They could drag themselves. They'd bring them downstairs. Then they got a little bit older. And I'd say, it's Tuesday, laundry day. They would drag their hampers downstairs and I would watch them as they would sort the laundry. Now, I could have sorted the laundry myself so much faster, but I was investing in them. So I would stand over them and I would, yep, that's a dark, that's a light. There you go. Nice work. Took a little bit longer, but guess what? Pretty soon they've got it. So then I would say a little bit later when they were like, you know, six, Tuesday, laundry day, they would take their hamper down. They would sort their laundry. They'd put it into the washing machine. Well, by the time my kids were, you know, seven, eight years old, it became, you put it in the washing machine. Guess what? Here's you put in the soap and you push the little button right here and then you move it to the dryer. And so I took myself out of that automation of doing Tuesday laundry day. Mm. And I look at that as an investment that yes, there's a little bit of time on the front end, watching them sort, making sure they're putting the soap in right. But guess what? I don't do laundry. Mm -hmm. They started doing the house laundry as one of their Mm. chores. They would do the towels and the sheets and those kinds of things. And again, for me as a mom, my goal with my children is not that they leave my nest. It's that they fly. They soar from my nest. That they find so much success in being an adult that it feels so much easier because I've given them the tools all along. Oh, that's great. And obviously then you have your team support so that you can have your blocks to your writing and some of the other things. It's little things like that. I mean, who wants to think about laundry? (laughs) I don't want to think about laundry. That's a good idea. I might try that. My son actually loves doing laundry. He loves pressing the buttons. And I think I'm too controlling. And I was like, no, no, I got it. I got Mm -hmm. it. But I just need to let that go. Because I mean, he's five, but he could have done it probably since he was three. He like climbs up there. He knows exactly what to press. And they love to help. I mean, this is the thing. Like, I guarantee if you ask your son, like, do you need help? Like if, oh, I need help with this. Oh, I help. I'll help. Right. Mm -hmm. They want to help. They actually want to contribute to the team. And I think it's really important to walk away from the perfection of the dishwasher has to be loaded a certain way. Or the laundry has to look a certain way. Can we walk away from that and say good is good enough? You know, having something done 80% right by someone else is better than having it done 100% right by you. That is true. But how, and you know, this actually leads into my next question that I wanted to talk to you about is some of these limiting beliefs. Um, And one of which I think for a lot of people that are dealing with health issues and autoimmunity is that like need to be perfect. And so kind of with what you're saying, how do we get ourselves to really think that? Because it's nice to hear it, right? And to have it said, but what if we don't really believe that? Yeah, it's it's tough. For, you know, perfection is tough. A perfect is the biggest lie we tell. 
there is no perfect. I mean, this is one of the things I used to say to my kids all the time. Nobody, none of us as humans were designed to be perfect. Um, But it's hard to walk away from. Uh, It really, and I'm a recovering perfectionist. Mm -hmm. So I do like things done a certain way. And so that meant for me, especially if my kids were doing it, taking a deep breath and walking away and just being like, okay, 80% done by somebody else is better than 100% done by me. (laughs) Like saying that mantra on repeat and reminding myself that I'm investing in them or, you know, whatever it was, whether it was a team member at the office or or anything else. It, It is a mindset that we have to get into because the problem is too with perfection is it's because it's not attainable, we're constantly chasing after it which means we're exhausting ourselves, we're wearing ourselves out. And in fact, perfection becomes this procrastination, right? It's this mask that procrastination wears. And then we end up with this paralysis of, I can't move forward because it's not going to be perfect or it's not going to be done right. Mm. So it is sometimes, you know, like people will say to me with the products that I sell, you know, I have these these planners that I sell. They'll say, oh, it's too pretty to write in. <laughs> and I'll say, okay, I want you to open it up to a random page, take a pen and just put a line across the page, right? <laughs> like do a scribble. And then I'm like, see, no longer perfect. Now you can write in it. <laughs> so it's like little things, you know? Uh, and, and this is the thing is the people in our world who truly love us, who who just really, really love us unconditionally. They love us not in spite of our imperfections. They love us because of our imperfections. So embracing what makes you imperfect is like embracing what makes you unique and special. That's part of your special sauce is not being perfect. Yeah, that's a very, very good way to think about it. Tanya, this has been such a breath of fresh air. I love this conversation. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about where people can find you, how they can connect with you, and also where they can get the book. You can find me at tanyadalton.com. That's the best place to find me. I also have a podcast, The Intentional Advantage, which you can listen to anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, Really, wherever you are right now in the podcast listening, you can just look for Intentional Advantage or by my name and give that a follow because I talk every week about different ways you can be intentional using productivity as your tool to, to really allow you to do things that matter most. So you can find links to that as well, as I mentioned, on tanyadalton.com. You can also find links to both of my books, The Joy of Missing Out, and On Purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. You can find that on my website or anywhere books are sold, amazon.com, target.com, barnesandnoble.com. It's also available in some stores, but with all the global shipping issues, it's not always as easy to go to a physical store. Um, But yeah, tanyadalton.com is the hub for everything. Wonderful. Well, Tanya, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here and all of this inspirational information. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. In Sarah's case, the work was really more in mindset than the actual plan. As I always say, you can have a solid plan, but if you don't implement it, that's most of the battle. So it's really a combo of having a plan and then making sure we mind our mind, so to speak. Because if we don't, we can find all types of excuses and subsequently sabotage ourselves even if we don't mean to. So to start, I worked on a few coaching aspects with Sarah. We worked on being mindful of using words like can't when it came down to things like gluten and sugar, and instead phrasing it differently using don't. We also worked on phrases like have to, 
must and should, because those are very, very negative. And instead, focus on using words like get to or want to. Those have a much different energy to them. See how different those are? Like I have to exercise or I should exercise versus I want to exercise or I get to move my body. Do you hear that difference? And then we also came up with goals, but with those goals, we went deeper. We really looked at why she wanted those goals, that real underlying reason why. And then we put specific time periods to them and that felt a lot less overwhelming. And then we used the dot exercise to work on some of her limiting beliefs of perfection and not being good enough. These beliefs are very, very common in many people and especially those dealing with autoimmunity. The dot exercise is actually based on EMDR principles where we go deeper into the subconscious mind to help release some of these beliefs and then we replace them with the more positive versions. This is actually one of the exercises that I teach in my Hashimoto's module of my personalized thyroid course. This is after we do all the biochem support. And this is so important because it's seldom addressed and this part is what often keeps people stuck. After we've worked on all of this, I recommended a coach that Sarah can work with on a weekly basis. This way, once she got started, she can have someone to continue the process. Sarah was amazed at how much her mind played a role. She never realized this. And now that she was paying attention to her mind while also having a good plan, the two together made a huge difference. Five months later, she lost 40 pounds and is feeling great. If Sarah sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and be sure that you subscribe to the show. This way you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, can you please post a review on iTunes? I would so appreciate that. And as always, when it comes to your health issues, please don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.